Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. morning church compliments of the season to you the bible reading today is taken from the book of zechariah chapter 9 verses 9 to 17 when i finish reading i would say this is the word of the lord you are to respond with thanks be to god rejoice greatly daughter zion shout daughter jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey on a coat the fall of a donkey I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your son Zion against your son, Greece, and make you a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. It will march in the storms of the south, and the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. They will be full like a bowl used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and the new wine the young women. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Oh, nice. Thank you. I didn't have to beg you this time. But really, it's, um, as in, it's just so marvelous seeing everyone, seeing more faces, seeing new faces, seeing old faces, seeing a full room. Um, I know a lot of you at home, you know, on the road possibly. I know some people are traveling. would have wanted to be here today, but um, thank God that we can join through technology. So now we'll pray and then we'll get into the sermon. By faith alone, through grace alone, by your word alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, we come this morning. Lord, we come empty-handed, Lord, with nothing, Lord, to commend ourselves to you except what Christ has done already. And so, Lord, we ask that in the same way Christ has come to us, Lord, that he will also come to us now even through his word so that we can behold your glory, Lord, and so that we can follow you and serve you. Lord, in these perilous times we live in, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been um, going through the Advent series, and every year at City Church we do an Advent series, partly because we, you know, we like to, we are very liturgical people, so we like to keep in accordance with the Christian calendar, but also because Advent prepares our mind. It's a rallying call, if you like, to prepare our mind for the coming of Christ. Um, to remind ourselves of, of Christ's coming and the significance that that has. 
And so we have gone through three sermons. Um, we started with the book of Micah, where Dami showed us how Christ is the shepherd that actually comes to us and shepherds us from all the dangers and challenges that we might be facing. We saw how he's also the son that actually comes, whose government will never end in the book of Isaiah. And last week we saw very powerfully, if you, if you were not here last week or you did not listen to that sermon, please go back and listen to it. We saw how Christ is the messenger that brings God's message to us that actually transforms us. And then we come today to the last sermon in the series. And it's not just the last sermon in the series, it's the last Sunday of the year. Nice. But it's the last Sunday of a year that has been very challenging. Can someone say amen? amen? Yes. I know we know that feeling. It's a, it's a year that has been challenging. We started with very high hopes. I'm sure some of you had projections. Those who have the very planning type among you wrote down a couple of things on a piece of paper. And maybe you've gone back to review it and it just seems like, oh my God, what's, what's happening with all these goals, right? Like everything just seems thrown out the window. We had a pandemic. And then I see that was not enough. All of us were thinking, you know, initially in March, it was like, no, this thing can't come to Africa because, like, Africa is really hot and warm and, you know, you can't survive here. And then the thing happened. But not just that it happened, we also had a lockdown go along with it. And with the lockdown came a lot of financial difficulty, a lot of economic difficulty, a lot of difficulty also with some of the plans we had had for those of you in business, some of the projections you had had and all of those things, how those things just seemed like thrown out the window. But then with the pandemic came Masu strike. And then your children, for those of you at home who are older, who have older kids or cousins or something, they now, they, they were at home, and not only were they at home, they were eating your food in a time where we didn't have money. Like the, the appetites increased. And then those of you who have younger kids, not only could you not go to work, but now you have to babysit your children and not just babysit them, but also teach them as well and make sure that they are doing their assignments and make sure that they are not deceiving their teacher when they say they are looking at the screen and they are watching cartoon, like I heard someone was doing yesterday. <laughs> and then we had the protests that came along with that. And with the protests came a lot of hope, it seemed, in the, in, in the middle of a dark time, a lot of hope. And then it just seemed like everything went south with, with the happenings at the Lekki Togi. And then it seemed like, okay, we are trying to get back to square one, we are trying to pull ourselves back together, and all of a sudden, we hear about stuff happening in government. People are kidnapped. And it seems like our government doesn't even care. Farmers are killed. We don't even know, is it for something, is it something? We don't know, we've not heard from our president. It seems like, who is really in charge here? But when we are Nigerians, we gather ourselves together, we try to move forward, and then we start hearing second wave. Like, no, it, can't, no it, it surely cannot come here. But then right now, we are in the middle of a second wave. And you know, we haven't had, I think, on a global scale, all the difficulties we've had this year hasn't really happened since um, the last 100 years. And so 100 years ago, the, there was the First World War in 1914. And the First World War was a very, very brutal war that involved a lot of the nations of the world, the, the um, military powers at the time. And it seemed like, man, the world was going down. Like, boundaries were changing, economic hardship was coming up, different things were happening. And so eventually, the war ended in 1918. And just as the war was ending, came the Spanish flu. And with the Spanish flu, a lot of people were killed. At the time, 
at the end of the Spanish flu in 1920-21, thereabouts, over 500 million people were killed, which is a third of the world's population at the time. And so you are saying effectively every one in three persons died at the end of that time. And so you can imagine what kind of disorienting period that was for the people around at the time. And a lot of people who contracted the Spanish flu were pregnant women. And um, you know, imagine carrying your baby, but then now you are wondering, am I not just going to lose this baby? Am I also going to die as well? It was a very uncertain time. It was a difficult time. It was a hard time. And a writer put pen to paper to describe the feelings that people were having at the time. A writer named W.B. Yeats, a poet. And he wrote a very famous poem called The Second Coming. And opening the poem, he says, turning and turning in the widening jar, talking about the spiral of life. The falcon cannot hear the falconer, talking about the disorienting of things. And then these famous lines, things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. And he goes on at the end of that poem to talk about how that there's going to be the reemergence of a beast who is going to take over and define a new world order. It seemed like he was saying that there's going to be the reemergence of a new king, a new rulership, a new authority. And saying along with that is coming this uncertainty of what our lives are going to be like. And friends, I think that describes how 2020 has played out. We can sit down in church here, like music is really good, everything is, everything is jiving. We are happy to see our friends and we are excited in the meantime. But when we step outside of here, it feels like, man, where are we going as a world? Where are we going as a country? Where am I headed as a person? It seems like, who is directing the course of my life? Who is the one governing the course of things? A Christmas party that I was meant to hold, that I was looking forward to with my wife, um, with a couple of people here in church, couldn't hold on the 25th because of all the stuff that was happening. Some of you had projected to travel, and now you are here in this room. Not like you hate us, but you'd rather not be here, right? <laughs> We're dealing again with coronavirus again, a second time. Not like we stopped dealing with it, but now we're dealing with it, and we've heard there's a, there's a new strain that can actually kill people. And so it seems like, what is going on here? And I just want to encourage your hearts this morning from this passage. I think that speaks so powerfully to our situation that the king is coming. The king is coming. And we see three things here in the book of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 to 17, that I think we can get our hearts around to actually, as we look back on 2020, but as we also look forward to the year coming ahead, that can actually give our hearts courage in the middle of these very difficult times. And so we see, one, in this passage, the appearance of the king. Secondly, we see the rule of the king. And third, we see the victory of the king. The appearance of the king, the rule of the king, and the victory of the king. The first one, the appearance of the king. Now, just a little background to what has been going on here in the book of Zechariah. At this point in, in the life of the people of God, the nation like we've said a number of times over the last few weeks, because we're looking at the prophets, the nation, the people of God have been split effectively into two. And so uh, there was the northern kingdom of Israel and then the southern kingdom of Judah. And then Israel is invaded by Assyrians and pretty much dispersed. And we don't, so these are the ten northern tribes, and we pretty much don't hear anything about them again in the rest of the Bible. 
But then the nation of Judah is taken into exile in Babylon. And God had prophesied that after 70 years, through the prophet um, Jeremiah, that God would send his people freedom and release them from exile. And so a king comes up who has also been prophesied in, in Isaiah, Isaiah 45, the name, by the name of Cyrus, who comes and releases God's people, and then they go back to their homeland. But then they go back to their homeland, and pretty much there's nothing there. There's, there's, they have to start their lives again. They have to start in a very uncertain time, a politically unstable time. There was no king at the time. And so God sends a couple of prophets. If you want to read this, it's... Um, can read Ezra 1 to 5 that tells a little bit of this story I'm saying in, in the fuller detail. But God sends prophets um, Haggai and Zechariah to tell his people to encourage their hearts in the middle of this difficult time. And so one of the, the central theme of the book of Zechariah is to say to God's people, return to me and I will return to you. But God is saying return to me not just in a physical return back to the homeland, but in returning in your priorities as well. And so the central theme of the book of Zechariah is God saying to his people, return to me and return to me by building the temple. And so Isaiah has 14 chapters where he sleeps one night. I don't know if some of you are like this or you have friends. He sleeps one night and he has eight visions. <laughs> like what? Eight visions. And so in the book of, in the first um, six chapters, he's telling these visions that he sees. And then the last um, 14 minus six, eight. Sorry, I'm a lawyer. I, I, my math is not good. Um, the last eight chapters, he then tells, you know, prophecies about how God is going to restore his people and bring them back to his homeland. And this chapter that we are in, chapter 9, is at that very intersection where God speaks about the deliverance he's bringing his people, but how he's also going to set them on the path that they are on. So let's look at verse 9, the appearance of the king. And so God had been telling these people, that he was going to defeat Israel's enemies and was going to incorporate those who had previously been outside of God's people, was going to bring them in. And in verse 9, God says to them, guys, rejoice because not only am I going to do this thing, this is how I'm going to bring it about. But then, like we know, God doesn't always work how we want him to work, right? And so in verse 9, God says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And what we see here is a very unlikely image. In fact, it's a crazy image, if, if one can say that. What God is saying effectively is like, God is saying he's bringing back a king, but this king is coming not just that he's not coming on a, on a horse, he's coming on a baby donkey to God's people. It's the equivalent of the president of a country going to the United Nations General Assembly that happens every year in October. And then instead of him to go with the presidential jet, he goes with a commercial flight. But not only does he not go with a commercial flight, he doesn't stay in first class of business. He stays in the economy class the rest of the people. But not just that, he doesn't fly KLM or BA. He flies Egypt Air. <laughs> I haven't flown Egypt Air, so like, forgive me. But I hear things, right? I hear things about Egypt Air. And so you can, you can feel how people, someone is saying, yes, 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 you are, you are promising us a king, 
But then you are telling us this king is going to come on a donkey. And to be sure, David, the Davidic kingdom at the time, so like during the coronation of Solomon or David, they actually rode on donkeys, and it was a way of expressing trust in God. But it's one of those things where I feel like, yes, we used to do that back in the day, but now like things are really hard. We need someone with a lot of military strength. We need someone who can actually fight for us, someone who can stand in our stead when things get hard. And God said, yes, I'm sending you a king, but I'm sending you a king who doesn't look like everyone else. I'm sending you a king who comes riding on a donkey. And I think there's something here for a couple of us here today. That God doesn't always work the way we want him to work. God doesn't always do things the way we want him to do things. God's ways are so very different from our ways that we have to constantly reorient our hearts against what it means to worship this God as God and the God who is actually sovereign. And a lot of us, part of the reasons why 2020 has gone the way it has gone, not just because of difficulties we've experienced, is because we've been expecting God to work in the ways that we want him to. But friends, if God does that, he's not God anymore. He's just Aladdin's genie in the lamp, ready to serve us, ready to do our bidding. And so we find here God is saying, yes, I'm bringing restoration. I'm bringing deliverance. I'm bringing the kingdom back. I'm even giving you a king, but I'm not going to give you a king like you want him to be. I'm giving you a king after my own heart that looks like me and serves my purposes. But you see, not only is this text just talking about how the ways of God is different, it's also a prophecy that, can, that was only fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? How do we know this? Because at this point in the history of God's people, there was no king. There was no kingdom even. The people of God, remember I said, had been broken up. They had been taken into exile. And now they are brought back. And for, for, the, rest of the, for the rest of their lives, there was no king restored. And God is saying here that there's only one who is worthy to do this. There's only one who can actually be this person as the person of Jesus Christ. And we see Matthew 21 verse 5. Matthew recording how Christ on the way to his death, after he's been born and lived a very normal life like all of us, on the way to his death, Matthew 21 verse 5, he says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her clothes by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And verse 4, he says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And he quotes verse 9 of Zechariah 9. What we see here, friends, is not only that Jesus is the one who actually is the king who fulfills God's plan. But we see Jesus as this very humble king who fulfills God's plan. And we see here, friends, the heart of God. You know, we live in a world, we live in a city where you have to, if you've made it, you have to flaunt it. In fact, if you've not made it, you have to flaunt it still. <laughs> we see a world where if you have possessions, you have to make everyone know that you have possessions. Humility is not the order of the day. You have to, so the idea is like, where am I going? That's where I'm going, right? So I have to begin to think like where I'm going, and I want to make everybody around me know. And so a friend in this church told me about a guy who came to their office to do IT. IT. 
and not just the IT at the end of his school year. IT between 100 level and 200 level. <laughs> and then the guy does the IT. And the next thing, the guy has a LinkedIn page, and he describes himself as energy and management consultant. <laughs> we laugh. It is funny. And it gets me every time. But you see, that's the order of the world we live in. It's the spirit of our city. It's the spirit of our age that says, to be humble is to be ridden over. To be humble is to be crazy. To be humble is not to be smart. To be humble is, doesn't make sense. You have to show yourself as someone who is bigger than what you actually are so that people can respect you and see you as this person who is worthy of whatever it is. But we see here, friends, that the heart of Christ and the heart of Christ's followers must be one of humility. In 1 Peter 5, verse 5, the second part, where, where Peter is talking to, to the elders in the church, what does, to the elders in church, and then he transits to the younger people in church, and he says, all of you, all of you, the entire church, both those in authority and those outside of authority, says, clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. It means that our hearts as children of God must be one that is constantly thinking about how we can put ourselves under and see other people lifted up. But you see, the second part of that verse says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know if you've ever wanted to, I'm sure this has happened, you ever wanted to go somewhere, and in Lagos there's always traffic, but this time it's not just traffic, cars standing in your way, it's a truck that is standing in your way. And you find that unless this truck is moved, unless LS, what are they called? LSNC. Or, um, yes, neighborhood security call. Yeah, nobody knows, nobody. Who's that? Who's that? Yeah. I just want to throw down LSNC or last mile. Unless they come and move the stuff out of the way, I can't go anywhere. And, and this is pretty much what Peter is saying here that when we are proud, God actually stands in our way and obstructs our movement. You want to make progress in life? Be humble. As one application there. But you see, friends, the problem with pride is not just that we lie and deceive people about what we truly are. The problem with pride is that we lift ourselves up, and by lifting ourselves up, we put other people down. Pride is not just content with self-exaltation. It always looks for the abasement of other people. And so what that guy was doing is, I'm an energy and management consultant. I am this guy. But then he's effectively also wanting his other colleagues to see that they are not actually as high as he is. Pride always wants ourselves to be lifted up so that other people can be put down. And we see here this king who comes on the back of a donkey as a humble king and he's saying, this is the new world order I'm bringing. I'm not bringing a kingdom where we advance by strength. Bringing a kingdom where we advance by humbling ourselves under God. And you see, friends, the Christian life is a life of radical commitment to God and to other people. It means we are constantly thinking about how we can lift other people up. John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist, they, his disciples have been telling him, like, can't you see this other guy? Can't you see Jesus? And how his ministry is growing, and your own ministry isn't growing. And he says, 
I must decrease so that he can increase. I'm not against us putting things on social media. I'm not against us even trying to sell ourselves on our CV and so that people can actually see the kind of things we can do. But what I'm saying is, if your heart is in sin in, so that other people can see you as better than you really are, then you're not following the way of Christ. And so a preacher of the last decade named A.W. Pink said something about Christ. He says, notice it in the men selected by him to be his ambassadors. He chose not the wise, the learned, the great, the noble, but poor fishermen for the most part. Witness it in the company he kept. He sought not the rich and renowned, but was the friend of publicans and sinners. See it in the miracles he performed. Again and again, he enjoyed the hill to go and tell no man what had been done for them. Behold it in the unobtrusiveness of his service. Unlike the hypocrites who sounded a trumpet before them, he sought not the limelight, shunned advertising, and disdained popularity. And in fulfillment of prophecy, he presented himself to Israel as their king. He entered Jerusalem lowly and riding on a donkey. And what God is saying here to his people is, the king is coming, the king is coming, but he's not coming like you want him to come. He's not coming the way you want him to come. He's coming humble and riding on the back of a donkey. And he's coming to change not just your situation, he's coming to change the people as well. But we see, friends, the second thing in this passage is not just the appearance of the king, but the rule of the king. And so in verses 10 to 13, we are told that God will rout out God's, the, the, the enemies of God's people. Verse 10 says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And what he's saying there is that God is not just going to restore the kingdom back to his people, bring it back in his fullness, the 12 tribes. What God is going to do is that he's going to extend his kingdom as well. In verse 7 of Zechariah 9, he says that those who are left or people who are going to be destroyed, they will then become a clan in Judah, and Ekron will be like the Jebusites. And what he's saying there is that God is going to extend his kingdom beyond just the territory of small Israel. He's going to make it, full and, and make it fill the earth and flood the earth as well. He says he's going to take away chariots. He's going to bring deliverance. He's going to turn those who were previously defeated, the people of Israel, he's going to turn them into an army through which he can work. He's going to bring about the building of a kingdom and the building of a people. I see these verses, again, are prophetic. And like we've said a number of times here, prophecy always has, prophecy always has, not always, but many times can have two, two levels of meaning or two levels of fulfillment. And so these, these verses are one of those where there was actually a physical fulfillment of the passage. And so you may have heard of something called the Maccabean um, Revolt, where for a period after the Bible was um, completed, after, um, sorry, after the Old Testament was completed, Malachi, the people of God were under the rule of a foreign power. And so Greece had invaded Babylon. Greece had effectively become the world power at the time. And so they were oppressing God's people. They were oppressing God's people. 
And then they also did not want God's people to worship the true God in the temple. And so one of the things they did was a ruler named um, Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes means the manifestation of God. He goes into the temple, slaughters a pig, right, and puts the blood of the pig on the altar where God is meant to be worshipped, saying effectively, this God is nonsense. I am the true God. And so God's people get angry, and God's people rally around, and then they perform, they carry out a war, a series of um, re rebellion, actually, and eventually God gives them victory. And so when verse 13 says that, I will rouse your son Zion against your son's Greece and make you like a warrior sword, this was fulfilled in that time. But you know, there's, just, there's more than just a historical fulfillment here as well. What we see here is that God is effectively saying he's going to deploy his people and make them his battle axe. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel sees a vision where there's a valley of dead bones. There's a valley filled with um, people who had been dead and just bones. And God says effectively that I will bring these bones to life. God breathes his spirit on it and he makes them a living army. And friends, it's a picture of what God has done to us in Jesus Christ. That God has brought those of us who are defeated, those of us who are broken, those of us who are outside of God's camp, and he brings us in, and now he makes us an army that, through which he extends his rule, through which his kingdom is restored. And you see, when the Bible talks about the church, when it talks about us as Christians, there are two ways in the New Testament that we are constantly described. We are described as those who are set apart, called out of the world, and so the word church in the original language means actually people who are set apart, people who are an assembly, distinct, ecclesia. But also we are described as people who are sent out, apostolos. That's where you get the word apostles from. And you see, what this passage is telling us effectively is that there is a distinct people, but those distinct people are also the ones through which God's kingdom is restored and God's kingdom is extended as well. And we see this again and again in the Bible. In Matthew 28, when Jesus is ascending to heaven and is giving the Great Commission, what does he say? He gathers his disciples to himself. They are distinct, they are separate, they are set apart. But he says what? Go into all the world. There's the setting apart, but there's also the sending. In Luke 24, as Jesus is ascending to heaven, we are told that he says to them, Stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. But then Luke goes on in Acts chapter 2 to tell us that when the Holy Spirit descends on God's people, what does Peter do? He gets up, leaves the room where he's at, and he goes out and he proclaims the gospel to the people there. In John 15, Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven and he calls his people to himself. They are distinct, they are gathered, they are set apart. But what does he say? As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Constantly we see this setting apart, but also descending. And Revelation 11, we see God talking about the church. He talks about two witnesses there representing the church who are set apart, who are distinct from the world, but also people who are proclaiming the truth about God in the world that they are living in. Friends, we are set apart, but we are also sent out. And the problem is that many of us, rather than traveling with that dual identity, we are content to live with just one of them. And so maybe yours is... We are set apart. And so you don't want to touch the world. You don't want to have anything to do with the world. You are constantly living in your Christian bubble. You go to Christian schools. You go to church alone. You have only Christian friends. You listen to only Christian news. And you listen to only Christian music because this world is 
going to hell. I am set apart for God. The problem with that is that we are set apart, but we are sent out as well. And some of us are those who are living on the sent out edge of things where we just want to tell, just want to go out and mix with the world. And so in some way they can, they might just be able to see the light of Christ in us. But you see, the problem is that we are sent out with a distinct identity. We are sent out with a message. And anytime we go out where we are not sharing who Christ is and what he has done, we are actually not fulfilling the Great Commission. We're actually not bringing about the restoration of, 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 of his kingdom, the extension of his kingdom. So this passage says, shows us that we are sent out. The people through, the means through which God, God's dominion will come to the world, the means through which he will extend his rule is through people who are set apart, but people who are also sent out. But we see also here, friends, that there really is nothing, if this passage is true, there really is nothing like an ordinary Christian. You know, sometimes we can think like, oh, the people that are actually doing the work of God are people like Emmanuel, who is preaching, Pastor Femi, and then all the guys who are working in church. Those are people that are actually on the forefront of what God is doing. And my only role is just to be giving my money. But if this passage is true, if God will bring about a dominion, if God will bring his rule to pass and will extend his kingdom, it means that everything we do in our nine to five is vitally important. It means that the creating of your apps, the development of your business, the managing of funds for your clients, the caring for your kids and managing your home is vitally important in the extension of the kingdom of God. There really is no ordinary Christian friends. We are all called to be part of the mission of God to bring about his rule to bear in our world. Amen. So he says here that he will bring his dominion to pass. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. But the truth actually, and some of you might be thinking this, the truth actually is that we don't always see his dominion and his rule coming to pass. We don't always see it in our world. We don't always, our kids, you just, your child just has to be two days old, and you know already this child is a disobedient human being. Or you are driving on the streets and you see a, a, a traffic warden who is, rather than controlling traffic, he's on the side, maybe smoking something or collecting money from people who are, not, who are actually not in the wrong. His rule is not always coming to pass in this world. And we see in Hebrews 2.8, the Bible actually says that, it says, even though God has put everything in subjection under his feet and has left nothing outside his control, at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And so this means, friends, that one of the ways we can actually see the rule of one of the ways through which we protest people disobeying the rule of God is by carrying placards. And demonstrations are important in that regard. It's by protesting against injustices we see. It's by when we've seen corrupt judges and some of these lawyers and um, policemen and people in authority who are robbing people of justice. We stand up and face them. But it also means that we cannot say that the suffering people are expressing in this life, the suffering you are even expressing in this life, is because you are not serving God or you are not faithful to God. If this world that is at rebellion with Christ is not functioning under his authority, 
all the time in the ways that he wants it to be, friends, it means that we cannot conclude that people who are in difficulty are there because they have disobeyed God. And there are some of us who believe the lie, or some of us who have been told the lie, that the reason why that thing has happened to you is because you did not have enough faith. The, the reason why that thing has happened to you is because you did not believe God. It is not true. Our world is falling. Our world is broken. And until Christ's rule is established in every sphere, this world will continue to run amok. truth, friends, is that we are not home yet. We are not home yet. God is in the business of restoring and extending his kingdom. God is going to bring about a new world. But we are not home yet. And so we cannot live like people who are at home yet. It must always be about God's kingdom. But you see, also, if you are not a Christian, what this means is that you are not living under the rule of the king. And like he talks about the sons of Greece there who are eventually defeated by God's people, God is going to bring about judgment against your sin, against your rebellion against him. And this passage says, hey, trust in this God, trust in this Christ, trust in this one who is going to bring about true justice before it's too late for you. In verse 7 of Zechariah 9 that I mentioned, he talks about God calling people out and joining them to his people. And that offer still stands today as well. God will establish the rule of the king and he will bring it about. But we see finally here, the appearance of the king, the first point, the rule of the king, the second point, but lastly, the victory of the king. And it says in verses 14 to 17 that God is the one who is going to be doing the fighting here. And what he's what Zechariah is doing by using that imagery is, some of you have seen epics or war movies where there are scenes of war. War movies, hence, scenes of war. Um, where people are actually fighting against each other, but it's the king that leads them into battle. And Zechariah is saying here that God is the one who is doing the fighting for you guys. God is the one who is going to lead you out. The sovereign Lord, verse 14, the sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south. But in verse 15, he says there that the Lord Almighty will shield them. And when he says the Lord Almighty, he's not just talking about, oh, God is strong. He's actually evoking a term of war. In the New American Standard Bible, he says the Lord of hosts will defend them. And that word is, a, um, is the English translation of God's name, Jehovah Sabaoth. It's the God of war. It's like when we call our president and then we say President Muhammadu Buhari, GCFR, the Grand Commander of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, meaning that, and then we say um, he's the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces. We're saying he's the one who has authority. Right? Don't laugh. He's the one who has authority. <laughs> over the military, the one who actually goes into war, sends our troops into war on our behalf. Except that here, God is not just sending people into battle. God is the one going into battle on behalf of his people. But you see, this is not just a battle, friends, that God fights and is like, oh, I fought a battle. This is a battle that actually, this victory that God achieves the battle is a victory that brings about the transformation of God's people. Look at verse 15. He says, 
after God has destroyed and overcome with sling stones, the B part, it says, they will drink and roar as with wine. They will be full like a bowl, used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. In verse 17, it says, that day will be attractive and beautiful. Grain will make the young men thrive, and new wine the, the young, grain will make the young men thrive, and new wine the young women. And what he's saying there is that the victory this king is bringing, the rule of this king is going to usher in a day and an age where God's people will be transformed, where they will be, where they will be thriving and they will be joyful, where they will be satisfied and energetic. And here he's saying, effectively, we must look forward to the return of Christ again. Actually, Christmas has ended. At least the feast that we call Christmas has ended. But you see, our lives are one long season of Advent. Our lives are one long season of waiting, of hope, of expectation, of when will God's rule come into this world? When will God bring about what he has promised? And maybe some of us, like Paul talks about people who have been, we are getting weary and we are getting tired and we are like, does this even make any sense? Is God really even in control anymore? Is, is, is God interested in this world? Is he coming back? And this passage, and the Bible tells us he is coming back. But friends, he's coming back, this time not on a donkey. He's coming back on a horse. And the Bible tells us he's coming back on a horse to defeat those things that have been rebelling against him and those things that have been amok in our world and he's coming back to establish his rule physically in our world. And so in Revelation 19, talking about the triumph of this king who is coming, 11 to 16, says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns, saying he is the king of kings. No one can stand up to him. In verse 13, he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And verse 15, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, saying what? King of kings and Lord of lords. He is coming back to establish his kingdom. And his victory will be certain. His victory will be sure, friends. We, we, we are not banking on hope. We are not just hoping that maybe he will win. He has won. He says here he's robe is dipped in blood. He has bled. He has purchased God's people. He has purchased our freedom. He has purchased our salvation. He has purchased the restoration of this world. He has purchased everything that pertains to us. And so we can live confidently in hope of what comes. But it gets even better. He doesn't just defeat his enemies. He establishes his reign. And so Revelation 21 verse 1 to 5, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first time, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear Every tear, every tear from their eyes. 
there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things that passed away. And verse 5, it says, He who is seated on the throne. Friends, he is sitting on the throne. He's not walking up and down, pacing like, Oh my God, 2020, what am I going to do? He is seated on the throne and he says what? I am making all things new. The World War ended officially in September 1945. You can carry on, I'm, I'm rounding off. The World War ended officially in September 1945 when Japan signed an instrument of surrender to the United States, to the Allied forces. But there was a unit of the Japanese Imperial Army called Japanese Holdouts that had been given instruction before the war ended, while the war was still on, that under no circumstances were you to give up or surrender. And under no circumstances were you to take your life. And so one of these guys was a guy called Onoda. Let me, let me remind myself, yeah, Hiro Onoda. And so the guy had been given an order by his commander in, Sep in September of 1944. Under no circumstances were you to surrender. Under no circumstances were you to take your life. You must keep fighting. And so the guy is deployed to an island in the Philippines. And he's fighting. He's fighting powerfully there. He's fighting. He's destroying things. He's causing havoc. He's wreaking havoc. But then the Japanese army surrender in 1945. But this guy has lost touch with his base. And so he doesn't know that the war is over. And so he keeps on fighting. He's killing people and he's killing things. A group of them eventually find a flyer from um, the U.S. that is dropped down to where they were. And they see it in October of 1945. And they say the war is over. And they say, no, the war is not over. It's a lie. It's, a, it's propaganda from the enemy. Let us keep fighting. And so the guy keeps on fighting for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. He fights for 29 years. He keeps holding out. And then eventually, they make, they make contact with him. And, and he tells them, if this war is really over, I will not surrender unless my commander comes and asks me to surrender. And so the Japanese have to look for his commander. And then they find his commander, who at this time is now retired, and his commander is now a bookseller. And the commander now comes and tells him, guy, the war is over. Give up your arms. And then the guy gives up his arms. Friends, Satan is like that guy. Satan is like that guy who is still fighting even though the war is over. The difficulties we're experiencing in life right now is like that guy who is still fighting even though the war is over. And friends, Jesus Christ has won the war. We may still be experiencing battles right now. We may still be experiencing defeat and struggles in certain areas of our lives, but Jesus Christ has won the war. And so we can be confident that even though this enemy holds out for one, two, three, four, five years, even though this enemy holds out for the entirety of our lives, he will not win. Because our commander-in-chief has won the war. So what's the answer to difficulty you're experiencing in 2020? To the hardship that you're experiencing? The king is coming. What's the answer to all the trials and difficulties that we experience in our lives? The king is coming. What is the answer to 2021 as we look forward and we're not sure of what is going to happen to us? The king is coming. 
what is the answer to all of our lives as we make projections? The king is coming. Please stand up to your feet as we worship and adore this king. Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.